Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Hey, food bloggers. Are you guys looking for accountability and business growth on a whole new level? If so, you should totally join the new Eat Blog Talk Mastermind program that we are starting in May 2021. Spend time alongside like-minded peers who will hold you accountable so you actually achieve your weekly and quarterly and yearly goals. Masterminds hold massive power. Let's grow together, learn from one another, and stop allowing deadlines to slip through the cracks. Achieve big dreams this year. We are now accepting applications for the Mastermind program, and you can find the application at eatblogtalk.com. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk. This podcast is for you, food bloggers wanting value and clarity to help you find greater success in your business. I have Maria Gariva from earthofmaria.com with me today, and we are going to have a fun discussion about Instagram-friendly photography. Maria is a vegan recipe developer and food photographer, as well as a student at the University of Oxford and the author of Earthy Vegan Eats, an upcoming cookbook featuring 60 plus creative plant-based recipes. In two years, she has grown her social media following to over 180,000 through the power of visually striking consistent content. And since 2019, her blog has grown from 25,000 views to over 100,000 page views. Maria is passionate about encouraging other women to pursue the to pursue their passions, as well as giving honest, up-to-date advice about Instagram success. I love this topic, Maria, so much, and I'm really excited to chat with you and learn from you today. But first, we all want to hear your fun fact. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And my fun fact, I actually had to think about this. And I would say that um, basically I am a poetry enthusiast and I write a lot of poetry, but uh, I don't consider myself to be very good. So I never really share it with anyone. But uh, outside of my work and my studies, that's one thing that I do very consistently. Oh, that's so cool. So you kind of keep it to yourself. Yes, I do. I shared a couple with my best friend, but that's about it. And, uh, you know, maybe that's going to change in the future. But for now, it's a very um, personal endeavor. (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. So what do you get out of it? Do you find that it fills you up with creativity or inspiration? What does it do for you? Definitely. I think it's a very different way to express yourself and uh, kind of convey different emotions and different, yeah, different feelings in a, a very creative manner. And being, you know, a creative person in general, it just gives me kind of an outside outlet outside of my um, usual, you know, food photography and recipe writing. So I know that that can be a huge kind of outlet for a lot of people. And like once you dig in, you're like, oh, there's magic here. So how did you kind of find it? I'm just curious. Like, how did you find that this was a thing for you? Well, actually, my grandma, when I was younger, she encouraged me to explore my creativity in so many different ways from, you know, writing to visual art. And actually, she was the first person to introduce me to cooking as a a very creative thing, as opposed to just food for the sake of just eating and survival. And that's where I kind of got my enthusiasm for writing. And it just kind of came naturally when I read poetry throughout school, and throughout my education, I wanted to give it a go myself. And I found that I really enjoy it. 
That's so cool. So clearly you are a super creative individual. You find many different outlets, <laughs> which is good. I think that's super healthy and it keeps you kind of on your toes and keeps you inspired and all of that. So this kind of ties into what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about Instagram, friendly photography, how to produce those um, just amazing photos that pull people in and captivate people. And you have figured out some things about how keeping up with the Instagram algorithm changes also, as well as how to increase engagement while staying true to who you are, um, have really helped. So I would love to just dig into this with you, Maria. Can you talk about Instagram-friendly photography? So that phrase, and then kind of what works and what doesn't in 2021? So I know that the concept of niching down is something that you have covered extensively on your podcast and in your community over the last couple of weeks. And uh, um, Instagram is probably the platform where it applies more than anywhere else. And in order to really tailor your photography to the Instagram algorithm, it will vary from person to person but uh, I spend a lot of time observing other people's accounts and uh, that really helps me to you know gain an insight of what works and what doesn't and uh, kind of a common theme that I have observed is uh, that accounts uh, which gain a lot of likes a lot of engagement a lot of comments on a very consistent basis are very consistent in the sort of content that they put out and uh, I think that this can manifest itself in many different ways whether that's the style of photography you produce and having you know the same color palette the same background or in kind of the nature of the food that um that you put out there and uh, I will actually give um, a personal example. So in terms of if you look at my Instagram account, it's uh, all very much done in the same style where I have uh, the food is very much the focus. And outside of that, I have very minimal styling and I either have a light gray or a white wooden background. And I stick to that as much as I possibly can. Um, and uh, I would say around uh, in the middle of 2020, I tried to branch out my content because I uh, felt a little bit um, not stuck, but I thought that maybe my audience would like something else. And uh, I had a couple of people say that, you know, um, we want to see more desserts, we want to see more breakfast foods. And uh, in general, I was looking at other accounts and I was thinking maybe I should implement all of these different strategies. So I started uh, sharing photographs from different angles and as I said doing desserts and doing breakfast foods when usually I'm um, my audience responds much better to savory dishes um, and my engagement just completely went downhill um, and that was a very clear indication that uh, the vast majority of my audience found my account through those very simple uh, vegan savory dishes and uh, that taught me a very important lesson that you have to if you want to achieve success with these algorithms and with these social media platforms you have to uh, because basically the algorithm can be, you know, turned into this villain, into this thing that's very much out to get us. But in reality, it's just showing, it's trying to serve the people on a platform as well as it possibly can. Um, and with uh, Instagram and other social media platforms being so saturated, you have to find specifically what it is that you want to be known for and find a uh, style that is very true to the sort of photography that you enjoy and also what your audience responds well to. And uh, to add on top of that, the more specific you can be about the type of food that you, could, that you, um, that you produce and that you put out there, 
the more specific you can be, the better, because, uh, and I think this um, applies much stronger to food bloggers that are just starting out, because you see, you know, all of these really big bloggers that put out savory, that put out vegan, you know, healthy recipes, air fryer recipes, and it seems to be a mixture of absolutely everything, but they already have that established audience from 10 years ago when uh, it was much less competitive. But uh, I only started my Instagram two years ago when that was already so much competition. And uh, I didn't really do this with the intention of growing my Instagram really, really quickly. But uh, I just found a style of photography that I really enjoyed and I stuck uh, for the vast majority of my time on a platform, I stuck very closely to that and uh, to the type of, um, you know, this vegan, savory comfort food niche that I found for myself. And uh, that has worked really well for me. And I know that for other people, this very narrow focus has been massively um, successful. Okay, I loved hearing you talk through all of that. That was super interesting. And I'm scrolling through your Instagram account right now. A couple things. I cannot believe how many followers you have. That's so impressive and amazing. And I love your style of photography. And you do stay very consistent. You do the same angle. And you've got like, I mean, it's probably not the same dish, but the same shape of dish that you use consistently, the same amount of distance away from the dish. So it's really interesting that that is what works for you and that when you started experimenting with putting more like um, sweet dishes on that people were like, nope, yeah. that's not what we want from you. So my question is, is this different than what you show on your blog or are you consistent from blog to Instagram or does it differ? So I like to, um, I basically, I share a lot of, I share all of my blog posts on my Instagram, but if you go on my website, you will see that I do like to photograph, you know, the dish from multiple angles and also do the ingredient shots and the um, processed pictures, but I also like to do dishes um, that are Instagram only and that are very exclusive to the platform because I find that in my experience, um, well, one of the things that it's very well known that Instagram is trying to keep people on a platform for as long as possible and uh, I like to kind of keep balance between kind of sending people over to my blog to get the website and obviously get ad revenue, which is super important from a monetization perspective. But uh, a um, a couple of times a week, I like to post the recipes that are exclusive to Instagram and can't be found on any other platform. And I think that's another thing that um, that has really helped me with building a really engaged audience. And uh, I do get a lot of messages saying, you know, thank you so much for putting um, putting the recipe in the caption and sharing it within the platform. And another reason as to why that is super helpful is because it leads to people saving your post, which is a really good indication to Instagram that it's engaging. And uh, the reason as to why I, you know, I hesitated a little bit um, is because uh, obviously if you're making money from ads, you want to kind of guide people over to your blog. So uh, I suppose it comes down to finding your own individual balance between, uh, and, you know, um, kind of deciding how important Instagram is to your, um, to your overall business strategy and deciding how much, uh, you know, free um, Instagram only content you want to put out there and how much you want to direct people to um, an external source such as you know a um, a recipe website or an ebook and yeah basically find a balance that works for you and for your business. 
I love that you post exclusively to Instagram occasionally. How often do you do that? So I have three blog recipes coming out each week. So I like to share two brand new blog recipes every single week at least. And uh, then I do another one where I update um, an old blog post and I do new pictures and that sort of thing. So I like to share that. And then three to four times a week, I do Instagram only, um, whether that's in real format or just to say, um, static picture and uh, actually from time to time I like to do these um, photographs where it's not even necessary a recipe but uh, um, if you have a look at my page I have all of these bowls that uh, have you know um, avocado and lots of vegetables arranged in a very pretty you know um, arrangement that uh, may not be you know, super practical for the average uh, person just cooking in their kitchen, but they tend to do really well because they uh, stand out from, as I said, from all of this um, competition and just um, the stream of photographs and recipes that people inevitably have whenever they open the app. Yeah, I love, I love that you do that. And I have a question for you. I've never thought about this before, but... On my blog, I have a theme of kind of gathering people, feeding, and enjoy and enjoying the people. So that could be like holiday meals. That could mean like dinner, um, serving food for a party, and then enjoying the people who come to the party. So that's kind of my theme there. But what do you think about taking like a really specific part of that and focusing on it in Instagram to see how that resonates? Because when I scroll through my content on Instagram, there is definitely a theme for what people like more than the rest. So like anything I post that has to do with desserts or sweets, um, like way more than, you know, way more likes than the other stuff. So what do you think about that? Should I experiment with that? Because I don't have a lot of Instagram traction. I never have. I've never really given it a ton of effort though either. But would that be a good strategy to try even though I've been blogging forever? What do you think? Definitely. If you notice a specific type of dish that does well, that's a really good indication that uh, the algorithm kind of associ almost associates you with uh, that type of food. So for you, as you said, it's dessert. And uh, for me, it's specifically, you know, those savory dishes. And uh, when I was just starting out my um, Instagram, I was posting, uh, I was definitely less consistent, but I noticed very quickly that in particular pasta dishes tend to do very well for me. And, you know, those um, nourish bowls that are very popular in um, in the, uh, the vegan community. And I would also keep in mind this may change over time. So, when I first started my Instagram account, smoothie bowls did exceptionally well on the algorithm, but that doesn't really seem to be the case as much anymore. And I, um, I used to post a lot of salad dishes, but after a while, the likes started to taper off and that um that was when I thought, you know, maybe I should try something else. So I took a browse through Instagram. I took no note of what um, the sort of thing that was performing well for accounts that are similar to my own and kind of adjusted my content strategy. So in your case, I would definitely experiment with, uh, yeah, as you said, posting desserts, but uh, trying different types of desserts, desserts photographed from different angles, because uh, there's a lot of successful dessert accounts on Instagram and some of them have, you know, more of that uh, very casual, relaxed, kind of homely style where it looks very accessible, very um, just suitable for the everyday beginner baker. And uh, other photographers do this very, um, very exquisite layout with, you know, the really complicated food styling and uh, a lot of props and a very complicated sort of more advanced angle. So you have to experiment and see what works well for your audience and create um, 
kind of tailor your content strategy based around that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. That gives me a lot to think about. And I really appreciate this perspective because it's not anything I had ever considered before, but I just might have to experiment with that. So thank you, Maria. Uh, I would love to chat with you about consistency and what your thoughts are on how consistent to be within Instagram. Okay, so consistency, as I mentioned it, um, I feel like it has two different meanings, whether that's um, the frequency with which you're posting and also the consistency in your actual content. And as I briefly mentioned, you have to be very, as I said, very specific in your niche and respond to your audience, but you also have to pay attention to trends in general and trends in the um within the specific niche so for example um uh, all of my food is vegan but when it comes to veganism there are so many different kind of subcategories of that so i uh, spend a lot of time on the explore page and uh, i spend a lot of time browsing other accounts and if i notice that something is a particular type of dish or a particular style of cooking is uh, doing very well so if I see you know a lot of uh, photographs of crispy potatoes on my explore page or a lot of reels containing crispy potatoes I uh, will give that a go even if it's you know different to my usual type of content I uh, will see how my audience responds and uh, if it flops then I will just kind of revert back to my old strategy or maybe try something else but if it works that will give me an indication that uh, um, uh, yeah, both the algorithm and the audience like that sort of content. And uh, in terms of um, consistency when it comes to how often you post, I uh, this is one of those things where I think it really depends and there isn't a clear answer because uh, some people post twice a day and uh, that works very well for them and gets very... Um, very consistent engagement other people post only a few times a week but uh, their dishes are much more complicated much more involved so just through that you know wow factor they manage to sustain engagement even if they're not posting as frequently and uh, in my particular case I found that uh, between five times a week to every day that works um, the best. I have tried posting twice a day, but uh, that didn't actually work out too well. And uh, instead of, you know, one post getting a lot of likes, I kind of got a mediocre amount on two different posts. So I quickly stepped back from that approach. And um Another thing to be really consistent with is your Instagram stories and uh, I find that when it comes to stories it's really important to treat them almost as uh, their own platform so Instagram is uh, I noticed in my own story engagement Instagram wants you to not only use it as a means of promoting your website or promoting the content on your feed, it uh, wants you to essentially, well, as the name applies, to tell a story. And uh, I noticed that if I'm posting something, uh, even something as simple as kind of, you know, giving a behind the scenes look at my day, you know, kind of my daily routine and how I produce my content that... Uh, gets you know twice the amount of likes than if I was just to post you know this is a new recipe on my blog or you know check out this new recipe on my feed and you know leave a comment and I think that's definitely a um that definitely feeds back into the overall um overall concept of Instagram what you to maximize user retention and keep people on a platform and engaging with um with creator content for as long as possible. That was so helpful. Thank you so much, Maria, for talking through that because not only did you give us tips about how to be consistent with styles and photography, which is kind of one of your things, you also talked through like, you know, how often and what. So stories, yes, we definitely need to be paying attention to those too. Can you talk to us about reels? I know that you gained 
a thousand followers a week, I think, by using Instagram Reels. Can you talk to us about your strategy there? Yeah, so I think the reasons to why Reels have been so effective is because they provide a very new and interesting way to connect with your audience. Um, I think nowadays, more than ever before, you know, with, first of all, the lockdown and us not having as much interaction as before, and in general, social media becoming increasingly crowded and increasingly manufactured and kind of commercialized to a greater extent than ever before, people naturally gravitate towards creators that uh, are showing a bit more of a behind-the-scenes look at their content and also showing their personality. And uh, through Reels, you can very easily kind of uh, not just do the standard hands and pans um, style of cooking that may have been very popular, you know, five, six years ago, but uh, they allow you to show your face or even if you don't want to show up on camera, which I don't always do, I'm quite, um, uh, I prefer to be a very shy behind the scenes person. That's just my personality. But uh, I like to do voiceovers, which, um, which can be really useful because just hearing someone's voice that really establishes a connection or um, oftentimes what I do in my reels is uh, I will show myself holding um, holding just you know the bowl of food and even if I'm not you know showing my face and talking to the camera um, that still gives my content a bit more of that you know human element and I know that a lot of other creators have had success and have taken their account from being quite stagnant to um to once again kind of growing and gaining followers consistently by kind of switching over to what Instagram is prioritizing and leaning into kind of the human connection that is permitted through the format of um, Instagram Reels and uh, Another thing that I would like to add is that when creating reels, once again, it goes back to that consistency and to that principle of niching down because I have tried to experiment once again with creating different types of content, once again, producing desserts and main breakfast ideas that haven't done as well. But if I create a an Instagram reels version of, you know, my pasta dishes that tend to be very popular, my nourish bowls, my trophy dishes, and kind of this overall theme I have of vegan, savory, comfort food that uh, can do a lot better in um, in general. So that's another piece of advice that um, I would give to anyone that, that's just um, starting out. But yes, overall, I think it's uh, um, it's an excellent feature and it allows uh, for so much creativity and for you to take, you know, a new approach to your content and really um, invigorate your Instagram strategy. I think there is so much potential in Reels to, like you said, be like super creative and show yourself in a new way, even more than stories, because you can kind of curate them differently and piece together different parts of, or pieces of content. And you mentioned doing voiceovers and just, you know, like doing a simple show of you holding your final dish. And that is still a way to incorporate you into it without recording all of the video of you. So there are so many different options there. And I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be, but how often do you recommend putting yourself out or producing reels per week? As much as you think it's going to be helpful for um, for your overall business objectives and for your um, for your overall strategy, because uh, I kind of take the perspective that uh, when it comes to producing Instagram content, you have to you know see your business as a business and uh, see Instagram as. Uh, not just, you know, putting content out there for the sake of producing content. You have to know where you're going, whether that's, you know, uh, getting a cookbook deal and um, or maybe self-publishing a cookbook or producing an ebook or selling some sort of physical or digital product or, you know, leading people over to your website and familiarizing, um, familiarizing them with, um, 
with your brand um so for instance for me i think it's very important and i try to do them at least two to three times a week um because I um, I like to do a lot of work for brands, both on um, sponsored content and commercial food photography and food video for brands. So showcasing that I can produce content in a variety of different formats. That's very important to my overall business. But someone that maybe just wants to drive traffic through Instagram, it may be, you know, of a lesser importance. But even then, I think that in order to really capitalize on this, you know, organic engagement that Instagram is offering at the moment and kind of this opportunity that um, uh, this opportunity to reach more people than ever before, given the, you know, the fragility of the um, of the overall algorithm, I think at least one to two times a week is kind of my general recommendation. Okay, that helps. Thank you for talking through that. I would love to talk to you about photography a little bit because this has been a recurring theme here on this podcast where people have views all over the place on this topic. So some people really believe, myself included, that you've got to nail your photography if you truly want to find success on certain platforms. So Instagram would be one, also Pinterest. But I recently chatted with people who have opposing views and they've been wildly successful and they do not have great photography and they don't put a focus on that. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, what are your thoughts on how successful you can be based on your photography and how quality it is? And also you could talk maybe a little bit about like how to find your style. Of course. So I definitely think it really depends on who you are as a person and your favorite aspect of food blogging. So personally, I know that I have always been a very a very visual person. I have always been very creative. And even before I started blogging, I had a beginner DSLR camera and I would always, you know, walk outside and just take, you know, those generic nature photographs and that sort of thing. So the photography side of food blogging came quite naturally to me and that is what I decided to focus on for my own business and decided to go down the pathway of producing a cookbook and doing photography for brands and helping other photographers with um with their websites and with reshooting old recipes and that type of um, that type of thing but uh, as um as you obviously know, there are so many different sides to um, sides to food blogging, and uh, that is such a wonderful aspect of it. Because even if you don't enjoy the photography, you can still uh, be massively successful just by focusing on uh, the recipes and uh, just developing really, really good, well-tested recipes that you know will. Uh, gain readers trust and uh, get a really good response and uh, I think that you know sometimes uh, photography on Instagram and on Pinterest alike you may you know look at it and uh, see it as you know not very special but actually that uh, type of very simple photography that doesn't look overly stylized overly professional that can actually be a unique setting point because it makes the recipe look um look very approachable and encourage just you know the beginner home cook to make it but uh, on the other hand other people really lean into the photography side of things and kind of build an audience that uh, follows them for beautiful images as opposed to um, wanting to uh, necessarily recreate their recipes and once again that's kind of their unique thing and that's their unique selling point and uh, I think that for me it's actually a mixture of both I feel like a lot of my audience uh, 
just follow me to basically look at pretty pictures on their Instagram feed to add the other half actually want to recreate the recipes and I found that sort of balance and uh, you know this has been a bit of a ramble but uh, as I said I think it really does depend on kind of the style of food photography that um, not food photography or food blogging that you enjoy and uh, you have to really always have tunnel vision and not feel bad if photography isn't necessarily your thing because there are still so many other ways that you can showcase your talent and maybe even you know hire a photographer to um to take care of that side of things and really lean into your specific skills and what your unique audience is um, looking for i so appreciate that distinction and just kind of giving me a new perspective Because I get locked into, I think we all do, right? We get locked into like, well, if you want to be successful, you need to do X. But really, so much of food blogging is, you know, like, it just depends, really. I mean, that's the answer to so many questions. Like, it depends who, what are people wanting from you? Who are you? What are you good at? What are you delivering? What do you love delivering? So if somebody doesn't love taking photography, they're going to find um, that they're great in other areas. So I so appreciate that perspective. And thank you for talking through that, Maria. That was beautifully said. Um, Okay, so you've found your own style. I love it. And you're settled with it. You love your style. Do you think it will keep evolving? Definitely. I, um, as I said, I like to experiment and I love to test things out and sometimes you know it gets a good response from my audience sometimes it's a flop but you have to be willing to um you have to be willing to take risks and try out new things um so actually just to give an example when I first um I first started out my Instagram and kind of uh, back in the day, I was known for kind of producing these nourish bowls and uh, those had really good engagement, but uh, I wanted to try something a little bit different. So one day I just posted a pasta recipe, but uh, I kept it in a very similar style of, you know, from the top down angle and uh, kept it, you know, well integrated with the rest of my feed. So even though it uh, was a different type of dish, I kept it consistent to the style of photography that came very naturally to me and uh, that performed exceptionally well. And as I mentioned, other um, experiments that I did had um, adverse consequences. So I am definitely, I am always trying out new things. I'm always testing, but ultimately I uh, keep a very close eye on my audience and how they respond and uh, I think that's, you know, that's the most important thing um, when it comes to food blogging, when it comes to Instagram, it's helping people in some sort of way, whether that's through delicious recipes or just, uh, you know, these uh, mouth-watering pictures of food that we all really enjoy looking at. And yeah, that's, um, that's kind of the key to evolving your Instagram strategy. Ultimately, keeping a close eye on your audience. I think that is key here and so important never to just assume that things are going to remain the same because the people who are coming to see your content may evolve and their taste may evolve. So you need to keep an eye on that. Love that, Maria. Okay, so I want to talk to you about the fact that you are a student at the University of Oxford. So that, I imagine, keeps you very, very busy. (laughs) Plus, you run, I mean, you run a food blog and you have this massively successful Instagram account. So how do you do all of that? You've got to have your time management and productivity just have to be super honed in. And if you listen to the podcast, which I know you do, you've got to know that I love this topic. So tell me your tips. How do you make this all work? Well, I mean... (laughs) 
from uh, from this perspective, the um, the quarantine has actually been a bit of a blessing in disguise because uh, I can't, you know, go and see my friends and uh, I don't have to walk to lectures because everything has been online. And uh, um, yeah, so basically the start of lockdown, all I've really done is work because there's nothing else to do except for, you know, laying on the couch and watching TV, which can be necessary from time to time. But I am I've always been someone that likes to keep busy that uh, likes to keep occupied because that's very essential to my own uh, mental health and uh, kind of uh, yeah basically staying true to who I am in a sense but in terms of time management I am a very big fan of time blocking and that's a practical tip that I would give to anyone that has you know multiple pursuits and maybe multiple side hustles or maybe has to you know balance their side hustles with um, a full-time job or being at university and uh, I this sounds very um very sort of involved but uh, I like to plan out my entire day in uh, 15 to 30 minute increments and uh, I make sure to write down activities that are related to, you know, my work or my studies, such as, you know, even taking out the garbage and doing the laundry and just very basic tasks that you think, uh, you know, are only going to take two minutes, but end up kind of spinning over. So I make sure to leave room for that. And I, um, I follow the um, the 60 second rule, which is where, you know, basically if it's going to take uh, less than 60 seconds, I do it immediately. So responding to an email or something very basic. And uh, I also like to have uh, a certain number of days every single week dedicated to feed photography. So I usually spend uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday doing my photographs and, you know, editing the pictures in the evening after it gets dark because I do prefer to use natural light and that gives me essentially the rest of the week to dedicate to other tasks such as, you know, obviously my university obligations and also working on the back end of my website and SEO and networking with brands. So that has been a strategy that um, that has really worked for me and uh, one of the benefits um, that also comes with uh, you know scheduling out certain days for certain activities and a certain category of activities is that uh, it allows your brain to kind of stay in that food photography mode or that uh, you know studying SEO mode as opposed to jumping between different tasks and getting distracted and feeling very frazzled and overwhelmed. I love hearing that. I love your 60 second rule. I'd never heard that before, but how brilliant. If it's going to take you 60 seconds or less, do it now. Do it right away. Get it out of the way. Because so often we'll sit there and look at an email and be like, okay, how long is this going to take me to reply to? And by the time we've thought through it, a minute has already passed. So if you know it's going to take you 30 seconds to reply, do it, get it done, clear it from your mental slate, right? Exactly. And it's so easy to, I think we're all guilty of procrastinating on, uh, you know, taking weeks and procrastinating on tasks that end up taking maybe 15 minutes and uh, you kind of beat yourself up. But uh, I think we all have that tendency and I have, um, I have been working really hard to kind of, um, to kind of work around that issue but uh, it's also it's also really tricky because when it comes to blogging when it comes to food photography when it comes to recipe development that's always so much that uh, you can be doing and uh, all of these platforms and all of these uh, you know things that maybe you should be doing and I know for me that's my email list and setting up an email sequence and uh, I understand you know the importance of email marketing but it just keeps you know sliding uh, sliding further and further down my to-do list and uh, you know kind of to cut through the overwhelm as I mentioned you have to 
choose uh, first of all your specific niche and uh, the side of food blogging that comes most naturally to you and focus on that and uh, kind of try and work around the other aspects of it but having that very clear vision and very clear direction has been massively beneficial to me when it um, uh, in terms of kind of overcoming overwhelm and managing the different things that I have to you know take care of in terms of my business and my studies as well. Yeah, and food blogging is a complicated situation. It's complex. There are so many things that we have to keep in the air at one time. So if you want to be successful, quote successful, you've got to figure out some sort of method or strategy because otherwise you sink. And I've seen this happen to so many people. You get burned out and you just feel like you can't juggle it all. So I love your strategy. And you mentioned time blocking. I just want to touch on that because I love time blocking so much. I used to do it all the time. Like I would do entire days of cooking and recording video and doing all of my photography. And then I would spend Tuesday doing all of my writing and like down the line. And then Fridays, I would kind of do like miscellaneous. Um, But since uh, pursuing other things, so now I have a podcast, now I have a membership site, things got messy because I'm trying to keep everything in the air but it's really hard now. So just like last week, I was listening to one of my favorite entrepreneurs talk on Clubhouse and he said something to to the audience that I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I knew this, but sometimes we just need to hear it again. So he was talking about time blocking and how he can get so much done. The amount of work that he gets done is ridiculous but he does it all in one day. So he records like 15, 10 to 15 interviews, like podcast interviews in one day. (laughs) He gets up at like 5am or something like that and works until it's all done, like edits them and everything. So ever since then, I've been like, okay, if he can do that, then I can kill it with time blocking too and get back to that place where I used to be. So yesterday I did that. I started it. I, um, like super behind with my podcast editing. So I just sat down and I edited like crazy, got so much done. And so now I'm super pumped to start doing that again. So I'm on, back on the time blocking train. It is so powerful. Am I right, Maria? There's so much power in getting stuff done and staying in the flow. You mentioned that like you're not moving around from task to task. You're not going from SEO to creating photography to writing blog posts. You're doing one thing that's keeping your mind in that magic state of flow that allows you to get so much more done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely agree. And actually, I'm kind of, um, I'm also working on a number of projects at the moment, kind of behind the scenes and uh, kind of setting out that time to do the really focused work and uh, get it done kind of as efficiently as possible has been more crucial than ever before. And uh, avoiding, uh, it's kind of a well-established fact, you know, these days that multitasking is a myth. And I definitely know is that on days where I'm maybe, I don't know, maybe a little bit more frazzled, a bit more overwhelmed if I jump between you know, checking Instagram to editing pictures to um, uh, to doing emails, I guess at the end of the day, you know, it's nine o'clock and I just think, where has the time gone? And, uh, you know, when you're kind of doing that and you're very distracted and not focused on a specific thing, it can, uh, just from kind of a, um, just from a personal perspective, it can feel really discouraging and it feel you kind of get the sense that, you know, you're putting in uh, all of these hours and getting nothing done. But uh, if you are super focused and you kind of see uh, the work that you manage to complete in a single day, it can feel really rewarding and give you that sense of momentum and that sense of personal accomplishment. So I've been exhausted since the beginning of the year. And I've been like, at the end of each week, I'm like, why am I so tired? I mean, I'm talking drained, like to the point where I fall on my couch and I just tell my boys, like, don't talk to me for a little bit. I just need to lay here and just not move like that level of tired. And I, this is why, because I've been bouncing all over the place, 
day to day, I'll be in my email and then I'll go out and take care of an issue in the membership. And then I'll go record a podcast interview. And then I'm like, oh, I better write that post for my blog. That is draining. And I just have to stop this. Like I'm, I'm determined to get back on that train where I'm like focused on one thing. And obviously there are going to be exceptions where something pops up, but I just can't be all over the place. It's going to kill me. (laughs) So so I can definitely relate to that. And uh, when that being said, I found that uh, carving out time to just relax and do absolutely nothing has been so beneficial and at first I um I you know I thought oh no I need to be working you know all um I need to be working all the time and uh, I struggle so much with uh, you know kind of this feeling that I am falling behind and I constantly need to be you know hustling 24-7 to stay on top and stay up to date and you know stay on top of my game so to say but uh, ultimately we aren't machines we need to rest we need to have that downtime to just you know yeah as I said to do absolutely nothing and it's much better to have that time scheduled into our week and uh, you know a day or half a day blocked out just to relax or maybe you know stopping work at a certain time every day that first of all gives us uh, kind of the motivation that we need to be as productive and as efficient in the time that we have allocated to during our work to be productive. And uh, that's also much better than, you know, working yourself to death and burning out and kind of your body pushing you involuntarily towards uh, having to take a break. Uh, That has happened to me, you know, several times where I just completely worked myself and then uh, I was basically knocked out laying on the couch for an entire week. And uh, that's that's ultimately much less productive than uh, scheduling out the time that I need to relax and give myself that opportunity and my brain uh, the hours that it needs to, yeah, as I said, to relax and just get back to that much more calm state. The thing that has saved me the past few months is that I stop working every day at 5 p.m. unless something crazy weird, like unless I have a meeting or something weird pops up. But that's what saved me. And prior to this past year, I used to reach that burnout stage fairly often. And it was like, this is so sad, but it was like normal for me. Like, oh, here it comes. Here's my burnout. And I would do exactly what you were talking about, Maria. I would be on the couch for like a week, which is like, okay, is that productive? No. So I kind of figured out this formula in the past year where like I have to cut myself off because I'm one of those people who will keep working unless I give myself those limits. So once I started doing that, it was like a game changer. I mean, I am actually giving myself, my body and my brain, the rest it needs in order to reset every single day. I have to do that. And I haven't reached that burnout stage. I mean, I've gotten to the point where I talked about earlier where I'm exhausted, but thankfully I had that system in place where I was like, okay, you're done at five, go sit and do nothing so that I'm kind of preserving some of that energy. So I'm glad we work in similar ways. It sounds like we do. We have a similar enthusiasm for kind of maximizing productivity and uh, kind of uh, maximizing our performance. And, you know, I've just been fascinated with how much it goes into that and how many different approaches um how many different approaches you can take and also how individualized it is. So true. It's so different for everyone. But I do believe that for everyone, you do need to take that mental break, whether that's like giving yourself a time limit or whatever it is. Everyone needs it. You can't be creative. You can't be as productive as your potential is without the mental breaks. 100% believe that. But I do want to ask you about your cookbook deal quick before we start saying goodbye. How did Instagram help you find your deal? And yeah, just talk us through that. 
Well, it's um, it's funny actually because I believe that my cookbook publisher found one of my um, one of my images on Pinterest, which is you know unusual because usually brands and other opportunities find me strictly through Instagram because that's kind of my um, my biggest platform and where I'm the most active. But uh, they found one of my images on Pinterest and uh, that led them to my website and consequently to my Instagram page and uh, that's where it all started and the cookbook very much follows the general theme of my website out of my Instagram page which is uh, vegan comfort food made easy and approachable and uh, yeah so that's kind of that how that um, came about. That's cool. I like that. It's a different kind of story about a cookbook because we all hear like kind of typical stories, but that's really cool. So when is your cookbook being published? Um, so it's um, it's being published in the US and Canada um, on the 6th of April. So that's, that's coming uh, up. That's coming up very soon. Yeah, that's very, very soon. And I think the international release is a couple of weeks later. I don't know if they have the exact date for that yet but uh, yeah so it's um i can't believe you know how quickly um uh, how quickly it has um come around and uh, it's been a very interesting and a very rewarding process oh that's so cool so you truly are like the busiest person oh my goodness cookbook blog <laughs> instagram student wow i am so impressed that is very inspiring if you could leave food bloggers with one takeaway along any of the themes that we've talked about, so whether it's photography, Instagram strategy, or time management, productivity, efficiency, what would that one thing be? So the main thing I would say is to lead with passion because that's the main thing that um, that's the main thing that people gravitate towards when it comes to you know people. Uh, who express their creativity online and you know as much as I uh, have spoken about the importance of niche down that niche has to reflect uh, your personal preferences and uh, I do believe that there's an audience for absolutely everything and you just have to stay true to that as opposed to trying to please absolutely everyone and uh, kind of fall into the whole shiny object um uh, shiny object syndrome and uh, um yeah as i said to really lead with passion because i think that social media audiences can uh, sense desperation and they can sense when someone is you know just doing something to make a quick buck and uh, you know gain an audience and authenticity and staying true to your own style and to doing what you love I think that really goes a long way I love that you just said that that social media platforms can sense desperation that's one of my kind of things I like to say lately too is that everyone even a platform can sense desperation no matter what you're desperate about and desperation is like uh, a, an equation for failure because nobody or nothing likes desperation for sure 100 percent. and uh, you know if you look at people that have been uh, massively successful over the years and have had you know consistent triumphs in um in their food walking careers you can uh, i don't know in a sense this is a bit like uh, this is a bit woo but you can kind of sense that enthusiasm through the screen and uh, that really shines through and it makes them uh, much more attractive to their audience and uh, i think above all that's the best way to kind of deal with algorithm changes and uh, you you know all of the adverse consequences of um, social media platforms and Google changing all the time. As long as you stick true to your content and focus on providing value and doing what you're passionate about, you will have success in the long run. So beautifully said, Maria. Thank you. This is such a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed this. I cannot believe it's been an hour, but that went by like super fast. Thank you for being here today. This was extremely extremely valuable. Before we go, do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to share with our fellow food bloggers? Yeah, so just the uh, overall, uh, 
I guess I don't have a specific quote, but just the overall message of staying true to your passion and leading with enthusiasm and uh, leaning into kind of the happiness that you had when you first started food blogging. I think that's the main thing that will push you through adversity and uh, kind of success will find you as long as you stay consistent and as long as you can handle failure and go through stumbling blocks without kind of giving up or losing faith in the process and uh, losing that belief in yourself that um, uh, that we often have when we first jump into a new endeavor. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. We're going to put together a show notes page for you, Maria. So if anyone wants to peek at that, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash earth of Maria. Maria, remind everyone where they can find you online. So you can connect with me on Instagram, which is Earth of Maria. And you can also visit my website, which is um, earthofmaria.com. And my email is maria at earthofmaria.com. And yeah, that's it. Those are my main communication channels. Yes. Well, everyone go check Maria out. Definitely check out her Instagram feed. It's inspiring and beautiful. And just thank you again for being here, Maria. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.